Well, hey, good morning. This is exciting. If you're, if you're here in person or online, thank you for joining us. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I would like to start this morning with a story. All right? Summer of 2020. <laughs> End of story, right? Uh, summer of 2020, I sat down with a group of fellow youth pastors and youth workers uh, at a monthly gathering. We have uh, gatherings once a month of youth workers throughout Converge Northwest, the church movement uh, that Northview is a part of. Uh, and these gatherings are a time of encouragement, uh, mutual discipleship, uh, a little bit of event planning. Uh, we plan retreats and special events in an effort to build fellowship between middle school and high school students all across the Puget Sound area. And it's a great opportunity to work together with others who are called into the same ministry with middle school and high school students. So at this meeting, summer of 2020, we don't need to dive too much into what was going on. We're all well aware. I voiced an idea that I think at that point I had only told to my wife. And I said, I want to take a group of students to Mexico next summer. In January of 2021, almost exactly one year ago, a group of high school students from Northview, as well as myself, Shannon, and Melissa, gathered together to plan and prepare for a mission trip to Mexico scheduled to take place in July of last summer, along with students from two other Converge partner churches. This group of students and leaders came together with a, general, with a single purpose and a single focus. Uh, yes, we can be honest, the students especially, they had plans to hang out with their friends. They were honest. They wanted to try some new food. I can appreciate that. And they wanted to get ho away from home for maybe just a little bit. But each student also expressed a greater purpose for coming on the mission trip a purpose that they grew into as we spent months training as a team. This idea, this, this purpose and motivation was, it was evident when we interviewed. I interview every student that wants to go on a mission trip, and it was evident as I talked to them. And as a team, it developed and grew, and it was realized in full when we touched down and headed into Mexico. And the purpose was, these students wanted to serve God by serving others. Each of the 11 students chose intentionally to sacrifice their time, their energy, their vacation, their weekends, and even their personal finances for a purpose bigger than themselves, to serve God by serving others. They demonstrated that not only in words to me, not only in a handwritten application, but they carried it out in deed while we were on the job sites, as they worked to worship Jesus. This is surprising to me. I lived it, I wrote this, and I'm already tearing up. So let's move on. In case we haven't met before, like Steve said, my name is Rob. I'm the student ministry director here at Northview. Uh, I have been a part of Northview for a while, I think somewhere in the ballpark of eight or nine years. Uh, and these days, it's grown. I love having my family here. You can see them up there. My wife, Amanda, or my son, Jackson, you've probably, if you've been here recently, you've probably met Jackson. He's very friendly. 
He enjoys rearranging. Between services, I can only imagine with communion set out today, he's going to have a field day rearranging this room. Uh, But really, I might be biased. You probably know him because he's adorable. That's fair. My role here at Northview is primarily with our middle school and high school students, and I focus uh, most of my time on our high school ministry. I also lead an incredible group of volunteers that we have that serve within middle school and high school ministry. Moment of honesty. I never planned or thought of working in ministry. Yet here is where the Lord has led me and led my family for this season. And I'm very, very thankful for that. I worked, before coming here, I worked in food and beverage. I worked in hospitality and marketing. And I constantly draw on those lessons uh, here in my leadership at Northview. Uh, And I do want to just put a plug out there. While I'm often uh, busy engaging with students on Sundays, come say hello. I'd love to get to know you, especially if you uh, are new to Northview or visiting. I would love to be able to connect with you. Uh, If you have questions about what goes on in our student ministry here, whether you're new or have been here for a long time, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you. Or maybe even you want to know how to be involved in the lives of our teenagers. Let's talk about that too. As Steve mentioned, I'm going to be sharing for the next three weeks with all of you, and I'm really looking forward to it. Usually I'm up in the youth room teaching our high schoolers, so this is a really wonderful opportunity to come down. And Steve was absolutely right. The scheduling was all over the place. We first had this conversation a year ago, and that's just that two years ago, and then two years happened. We've we've all lived through that. Uh, But it's my hope that Uh, This can be a time of encouragement, that this can be a time of growth for us as we seek Jesus together uh, by studying his word. And we're going to be studying through a single chapter of scripture over the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at the chapter of Romans 12. And to help kind of set the stage, um, we did this in the fall. If you were there, we have different members of our church family come and read the section of scripture that we're going to be studying together. Uh, And we're going to be continuing that over the next three weeks with members of our student ministry team. So you get to see who is working alongside uh, the teens here at Northview. And uh, I'd like to invite up my wife, Amanda. She is going to be our reader this morning. Uh, and I just want her to, to introduce herself, which has been done, but introduce yourself uh, and tell people that might not know you, how long have you been involved with teenagers and what, what does that look like now in our season of parenthood? <laughs> uh, so I'm Amanda. I'm married to Rob. And I've been involved in student ministries at Northview for five, like five years, years since yeah. we were dating and engaged. Uh, but then at the church I grew up in for probably another five or six or seven or eight, I don't know, years before that. So... Um, <laughs> Now my role has changed a little bit as we have Jackson, and so instead of leading a small group here, I'm a little more kind of behind the scenes, involved supporting Rob kind of on the back end, and looks a little different, but has been, yeah. has been good for this season also. Uh, so our passage for this morning is Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There we go. Support in the back. Hey, let's go before the Lord this morning in a word of prayer. Jesus, as we spend these next three weeks, really, uh, to many going slow through a single chapter of Scripture, I pray that uh, your truth stands out. 
And I pray that this be a time of encouragement for all of us as we see more of what your word has to say, Lord, and that as a community we can rally uh, to you and that we can seek to daily be renewed and refreshed through your spirit. Be with us this morning, Lord. May this be your message, your words, not mine. In your son's name, amen. So I've, I've chosen to walk through Romans 12 over the next three weeks for two main reasons. First, I genuinely believe and think that this chapter is a great avenue to explore what a changed life in Jesus can look like. Here at Northview and in student ministry, we're all about seeing people's lives changed and transformed by the power of Jesus. We want to provide opportunities like this morning to set aside distractions and see what God himself may be speaking to us through his word. By, sp- by studying one chapter over three weeks and connecting it to other teachings in the Bible as well as our lives, I hope we can grow in our understanding of what the Apostle Paul has written here. Second, this chapter was the focus of our youth mission team from Mission 21 this past summer. Yes, it was crazy to plan a mission trip in the midst of COVID, but I'm so thankful that the Lord kept us and protected us all. We studied this chapter together for six months before the trip, and it was even on our shirts, so you know it's official. I believe it was a great rallying point for our team then and will be highly applicable to us this morning as we walk through it. The word, therefore, is a key word in the scriptures. It's an important word that should give us pause and consideration, especially when we open up to a chapter or verse that we may not previously have been studying or reading through. And such is the case in Romans 12, where we almost immediately encounter the word, therefore, as we open to the middle of this letter from the Apostle Paul. So why is this word important? What does it mean? What are we supposed to do with it? In simple terms, when we encounter the word, therefore, we should ask ourselves a key question. And yes, it's a cheesy question, but it's effective. When we see the word, therefore, we should ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Valid question. Or if you want a little bit different spin on it, what am I supposed to know already? Because clearly something has come before. And it's important to have an understanding of what came before so we can try our best to glean as much as possible from what we're reading. And I want to encourage us, uh, just on a side note, to do this with whatever we may be reading in the Bible, regardless of whether or not there is a therefore or a thus or something like that. Context is crucial when studying Scripture, and it's only through studying its entirety that we really understand. We can absolutely take a lot from a single verse. It's still the Word of God and can change your life, but I think we get the whole picture when we study the whole thing. Romans, which is really more like a theological textbook than a letter, was written by Paul and directed towards the Christian church, the early Christian church in Rome. And it remains highly insightful and applicable for us today. Paul's use of the word therefore, in this instance, points back to the entire argument he has been presenting in the first 11 chapters of this book. Now, for me, I'm going to say unfortunately, maybe for some of you the word is fortunately, We don't have time to walk through the entire first 11 chapters of Romans this morning, 
But I want to provide you an overview and a snapshot of what Paul has been writing about in these first 11 chapters. Uh, One website writes this. It says that Paul's purpose in writing Romans was to proclaim the glory of Jesus by teaching doctrine while edifying and encouraging believers. Now, while this letter was targeted towards the church in Rome, it's very applicable to all who seek to follow Jesus. Romans is a work of doctrine with key themes of righteousness and justification. In this letter, Paul writes about God and what the death of Jesus accomplished. He also writes about humanity and who we are in Christ as well as who we are without Jesus in our lives. In fact, there's so much theological teaching and doctrine uh, presented in this book that some, like one of my favorite speakers, uh, Pastor Chris Brown from North Coast Community Church in California, claims that Romans isn't even a letter, it's a textbook and that it is the primary doctrine textbook of the New Testament and the Christian faith. Paul emphasizes there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, that we are dead in our sins, and only the grace and mercy of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection can save us. Paul promises salvation to those who confess their sins and believe in Jesus. I highly encourage you, read the book of Romans, but also study it to understand Paul's full argument and case for Christ. This is a great book written by someone who knew and encountered Jesus and desires others to come into a personal relationship with him as well. Now that we have what could barely be described as an introductory insight into Romans, let's look at what we're going to talk about over these next three weeks. I've decided to call these three weeks transformed. When we think about the term transformed, we think about something that undergoes a dramatic change in form or appearance or function. We may be think about things that we have used in a new or innovative way, or maybe scientific solutions come to mind when we think about this idea of being transformed. Humanity is creative, and when we channel our creativity, we often see things transformed or changed. But we also see this in nature with a prime example being metamorphosis. As a caterpillar grows into a butterfly, we see this process of transformation taking place. The same idea is being used here by Paul as he writes about being transformed. Paul has a desire for people to be dramatically changed as he himself was dramatically changed by an encounter with Jesus. Acts chapter 9 tells the account of Paul, a Jewish official tasked with the elimination of the early Christian church. I want to read the first couple verses of Acts chapter 9 for you this morning. Meanwhile, Saul, who we know as Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Now get up and go into the city, and there you will be told what you must do. The account says the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. The narrative written by Luke in the book of Acts goes on to tell us that God called a man named Ananias, a godly man, a follower of Jesus, to go to Paul because God had chosen Paul to be his special instrument. The instrument to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel. Understandably, Ananias is hesitant because of Paul's reputation and retribution against the church. But just as we saw the Lord tell Paul to rise and go, so he tells Ananias, go. And he goes. Ananias meets Paul. He prays for him. And in the account, we see Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, his sight restored. He gets baptized in the name of the Lord, and his ministry for Jesus begins. It is recorded that he began preaching, Jesus is the Son of God. And while many were astonished and many were distrusting, Paul remained loyal and steadfast to the call God placed on his life. You see, Paul encountered Jesus, and his life was changed forever. Through the transformative power of Jesus, Paul went from the, pro- the, the primary, the prominent enemy of the Christian church to perhaps its greatest advocate, missionary, and theologian, second only to Jesus Christ himself. It is this life change from Paul's own life that is emphasized as well in Romans 12 with his word, use of appeal or urge, depending on the translation you're reading from. He understands the importance of being transformed in and through Jesus and wants desperately others to experience the same. And it's with that same heart that we enter into this study. I believe that in Jesus alone, we are transformed. And Jesus alone, we begin the process of realigning ourselves with the heart, the will of God. So that brings us to the first section of Romans 12. And our first look at being transformed, the transformation of the mind. This morning we're going to look at three questions to hopefully better understand this idea presented in Romans 12, 1 and 2. First, we're going to ask, what, is, what, what does it mean? What is mental transformation? We talk about it, what is it? Then we're going to look at how do we engage in mental transformation. And last, what is the result of allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our minds? In these short two verses in Romans 12, Paul urges or appeals to those reading to be transformed with a process that starts with the renewal of the mind. It is his urging that by being transformed in the mind that then the Christ follower may stand firm against the world and engage in what Paul calls pure and full spiritual worship. In fact, Paul emphasizes a life centered on worshiping God and being a living sacrifice to the Father. Now, this type of language of sacrifice may seem a little bit strange to us, but to his audience, they understood sacrifice. The Old Testament provides teachings and commands for sacrifices, specific 
acts to be utilized for the redemption of God's people. When a sin was committed, the people of God followed heaven-sent mandates for the rectification of sins through the shedding of animal blood. I often utilize a a life application study Bible uh, as I'm preparing, and here's what they have to say. I was reading their notes, and I just wanted to share what they have about the first verse in Romans 12. They write, When sacrificing an animal according to God's law, a priest would kill the animal, cut it in pieces, and place it on the altar. Sacrifice was important, but even in the Old Testament, God made it clear that obedience from the heart was much more important. God wants us to offer ourselves, not animals, as living sacrifices, daily laying aside our own desires to follow him, putting all our energy and resources at his disposal and trusting him to guide us. We do this out of gratitude that our sins have been forgiven. I love those insights. That God desires us to live for him, and we do so because we are grateful for the forgiveness of our sins. This is exactly what Paul is writing about in verse 1. He is urging the Christ follower to live as a sacrifice to God. Choosing daily to follow him in a continuous, in a lifestyle of worship. He is seeking the Christian to surrender full self to God. To allow our worship to be reflective of the desires to follow Jesus. But it's not just that. Paul says that we should be motivated by an understanding of the mercies of God. That when we really begin to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, when we really begin to understand the grace and mercy that was poured out, that we should have no other choice, no other option, but to respond out of a desire of gratitude to live for him. Jesus accomplished what we could not. Jesus accomplished what the sacrifices of animals could not. Through the shedding of his own blood, he provided a pathway for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. It is through Jesus alone, the ultimate and pure sacrifice presented on the cross, that we can be reconciled back to God and our sins forgiven. My study Bible has this note. Christians are to give themselves entirely to God because of his saving grace. Sacrificial language from the Old Testament is used to denote the new life of Christians, and this means that the word bodies in Romans 12 refers to the Christian as whole persons, for both body and soul belong to God. A living sacrifice, meaning that they are alive from the dead since they enjoy new life with Christ. So Paul is telling us that as we recognize and understand what God has done and the mercy he has poured out, we cannot help but be driven to action. The first 11 chapters of Romans are centered on understanding what God has done. Hence the word, therefore, and a reminder of the mercy of God. Now Paul shifts into the application portion with how we should choose to respond. As we present our entire selves to God, we worship him through our actions, our thoughts, our relationships. As we take in the mercy of God, our lives are turned into an act of living worship to the Father. So now Paul gets applicable and actionable, and so will we. As we are living sacrifices centered on lifelong worship of God because of his mercy, we are changed. You might even say, transformed. Because we know Jesus and seek after him, we cannot remain the same. 
And it's with a transformation of the mind and heart that it begins, because it always starts on the inside and works its way out. But what does transformation of the mind look like? What does it mean? I think Paul gives us the answer to this question in his writings, and not just in the book of Romans. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament, and there's a lot in his writings. And I want to borrow from his letter uh, that we would call Colossians. And especially from Colossians chapter 3, I encourage you to go back and read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I'm just going to do a little bit of picking and choosing and read a couple pieces for you this morning because I think it helps us understand this idea of mental transformation. Paul writes this, and on a side note, it starts with, since then, if we had time, we'd want to go back and see what was presented before that. But since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he finishes by saying, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what do we see here when we look at Paul's writings? We see that when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus, when we allow our sinful self to die and be reborn in him, we now have a calling to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. When we fully understand who Jesus is and what he has done, and in light of that, when we understand who we are, we recognize we're called to put to death the things that belong to our earthly nature and that we put on a new self that is being renewed in the image of its creator. Mental transformation is this this process of what happens when you have been raised with Christ and allow your entire self, including your mind, to be remade and renewed in his image, reflecting all the way back to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, in which humanity was made in the image of God. Transformation of the mind is rooted in a willingness and obedience to allow the Spirit of God to change us, to renew us, and to allow us to reflect Jesus to others. It is also connected to what we choose to set our minds towards, and Paul is encouraging us, urging us, to set our minds on things above not on the sinful ways of this world. Paul also addresses this in the book of Philippians when he writes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We're seeing that the mind is important that Paul teaches a changing mindset and transformation when we come into the family of God. So what does it look like? What does it mean? It's a reworking of the mind. Away from sinful thoughts, away from sinful tendencies, away from spiritual habits, to a shifting, to a realignment to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not simply enough, however, to set things aside. We need to be refilled. We need to be replaced with something better and something new. It's about laying aside our own sinful mind and being remade with a mind like Jesus. 
God cares about your mind and desires to see it changed. We must train our minds to be in the Spirit so we learn to operate in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We must have the same mindset as Christ and be trained in righteousness by the Holy Spirit. The process of mental transformation requires personal action and it requires a divine partnership. None of us are powerful enough to simply change our minds on our own. We need the work of God through the Holy Spirit. But we also need to be willing and obedient to do what he is calling us to do. This is the insight into how we engage with mental transformation. For a while, I've taken this view on salvation as it's really rooted in an understanding of of who God is and what he has done, and in light of that, who I am. And recognizing the disconnect and the realignment and needing to come under the greatness of God. And I'll give credit where credit is due. I, I, I stole this idea. I did. I stole it from, from Matt Chandler out of Village Church in Texas. He also uh, runs Acts 29 Network. Uh, but he had a, a series on Nehemiah. And we don't have time to go into Nehemiah, but if you want an incredible story of, of faith, it's a book in the Old Testament. I highly encourage you to go and read it. Uh, but Matt Chandler teaches on Nehemiah, and he focuses at the beginning in Nehemiah 1. He has this prayer that demonstrates that Nehemiah had an understanding. He recognized who God was. And not just that, he recognized who he, Nehemiah, and who the people of Israel were in light of the nature of God. He understood the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity, and so must we. We must understand that God alone is good and we are sinful. This is a clear teaching in the scriptures. But we need to go beyond just seeing it as a teaching, and we need to understand it to be something that is true. Then when we understand our own state of spiritual depravity, we understand the need for a Savior. And hopefully we see Jesus as our Savior. Then we call out. And thankfully, Paul, once again, gives us a good idea of how to do it and what it looks like. Just a couple chapters before where we are now, in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, as Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10 makes it clear. We only have to call on the name of the Lord to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. From there, from this very intentional decision to follow Jesus over self, we begin the process of being transformed away from our spiritual self, away from our spiritual mindset, and back into the image of God the Creator. From there, we allow ourselves to be led, instructed, taught, reformed, and changed by the power of the Spirit of God, beginning with the transformation of our minds to the things of God over the things of the world. This is all wrapped up in the process that we would call sanctification. 
Fancy word. It means being made like Jesus. Wrapped up in this process too, in addition to seeking Jesus, in addition to to knowing God, in addition to allowing the Holy Spirit to, to work in our lives, our actions such as engaging and reading and studying the Scriptures, seeking the Lord through intentional prayer, and being engaged in Christian community. All are important and essential in the life of a believer. So what is the result of the transformed mind? Paul gives us an insight. In the second half of Romans 12, 2, Paul writes that as our minds are renewed, as our minds are transformed, that through testing we will discern the will of God. That is, we will not conform to the sinful ways of this world, but we will seek the things of God, things that Paul says are good and acceptable and perfect. This is the result of being mentally transformed by the Spirit of God. We are able to discern the will and way of Jesus. And we're able to remain steadfast against the ways of the world. (laughs) And all that God asks for this process to begin is to present your body as a living sacrifice, a demonstration of spiritual worship, an act that we would call surrender. Because the spiritual worship of Romans 12 is the beginning of transformation to be more like Jesus. Something that starts on the inside in our mind and works its way out into every aspect of our lives as we seek to be living examples of the mercy and grace of Jesus. Not something we can do on our own, but something we desperately need the power of God to walk through. This idea of a transformed mind, a changed way of thinking, acting, living, is core to what we do within student ministries here. I think we can all agree Teenagers are facing more than ever before. And included with that are countless calls for their attention, and I would go a step further, their allegiance. I believe that the work of discipleship is key to bringing students into the kingdom of God. Within student ministries, our mission, the whole purpose of why we do what we do, is to create lifelong disciples of Jesus who are engaged with the scriptures and committed to loving God, serving others, and sharing Jesus. And how do we do it? Well, our vision is to connect students with adults who will provide discipleship through relationship and gospel-centered teaching, who encourage students to be engaged with the scriptures and to be involved alongside with the students and the church community through serving others. So while mental transformation is not a direct word or phrase in the mission and vision of student ministries, it's a part of the discipleship process. For an adult to be at a place to disciple teenagers, there needs to have taken place mental transformation of their own. We look for adults whose lives have been changed by the mercy of God. Men and women who desire to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, changed by the mercy of God. Men and women who are actively seeking to understand and follow the will of God. You see, I've been doing this for a little while, both Northview and and elsewhere. I can help teach someone how to prepare for and lead a small group. I provide instruction to my team before retreats, before camps and events, I can provide that, but I can't teach 
a right heart. I look for lives that have been changed by Jesus who will encourage students to seek after him as well. And that's the second part of mental transformation in student ministry, providing a place for students to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. This idea of discipleship is all about transformation and helping students see and understand the way of Jesus and how it's greater and more powerful than anything the world has to offer. Transformation is a key part of ministry with middle school and high school students as well as everything that we do here at Northview. We want to provide opportunities for exploration, for life change, for transformation. For student ministries, that means times like teachings on Sunday mornings, small groups on Tuesday evenings, times of teaching and discipleship rooted in Scripture. We also utilize larger events, retreats, and overnights to continue the mission with different events focusing on things like worship, fellowship, discipleship. These include mission trips, summer camps, kickoff events, and even hangouts like on Friday with kids playing video games. We have two of these that are coming up right around the corner. We have middle school winter blast, which is a time of of our middle school students getting out of town, heading to camp for a weekend. An opportunity for fellowship and discipleship in action as students gather to, to play, to eat, to worship, and to learn together. This year's theme of Winter Blast is the idea of being known. Our speakers and small group leaders will be walking students through the truth that Jesus knows them, loves them, and wants to use them. For high school students, uh, Advance coming up is an opportunity for us to move forward in our faith of Jesus and our relationships with one another. We're going to be examining the life of Peter as someone who is called, shaped, forgiven, and sent in incredible ways. If you have students in middle school or high school, shameless plug, I encourage you, get them signed up for these retreat opportunities. If you're the parent of a middle schooler, registration for Winter Blast closes tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) To engage in a mission trip, beyond just building a house, eating some tasty food, one has to be in line with the Holy Spirit. And that requires transformation before, during, and even after the mission experience. The, di- the idea of being transformed to not be conformed to the world is a big deal, especially when we remember that things like Mission 21 are focused on high school students who gave up sizable amounts of their summer vacation and lots of time and finances and energy in the months leading up to it. To engage in a mission experience like that, participants need to set aside what the world is telling them and answer the call that Jesus is placing on their heart. Each person who came on mission last July expressed a desire to show their love to God by serving other people and serving one another. And all of them lived that out before, during, and after the trip. Each student had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and several, if you remember, were baptized last spring as they decided to pledge their allegiance to Jesus. And each wanted to use this trip as an act of spiritual worship for the glory of God. This was a group of teenagers who understood being mentally transformed means to be more focused on God and others than on self. In the Christian life, we engage in 
various practices that remind us of this whole picture that we're talking about. That remind us of who God Almighty is and who we are. One practice that we do as a community is that of communion, which we'll be partaking in today. If you're here in person, I encourage you to to find one of the plates around you. There's gluten-free and additional in the back. Uh, If you're at home, I invite you, I encourage you, gather elements so you can join with us from home and be part of our family through communion this morning. Communion is an opportunity to remember exactly who Jesus is and celebrate that he gave himself up for us, his creation. That he offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice as payment for our sins. We celebrate the Messiah who lived a sinless life. The one who has the power to transform us to be more like him and less like sin. In Romans 12, Paul urges, urges us in light of God's mercy to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice when we, uh, sorry, (laughs) as a living sacrifice. And when we take communion, we remember the mercy that Jesus poured out on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. Through communion, we remember the acts of Jesus. As written by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Together we take the bread in remembrance of the body Christ offered as a true sacrifice to pay the debt that we could not. A body broken for us on the cross. The body with which he walked in the human condition and allowed to be killed for the payment of our sins and the body that was resurrected to provide a path for life. Go ahead and take. And together we take the cup in remembrance of the new covenant of Jesus. His blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As we remember the mercy and grace of Jesus, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out, we can choose to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. A people more focused on Him and others than ourselves who desire to reflect Jesus in every area of our lives to those we encounter. And together we seek him in prayer and worship for the transformation work of the Holy Spirit. May we seek after Jesus and allow him to transform our minds even here this morning while we gather to sing in closing. We are called to give ourselves entirely to God because of his saving grace. Together, let us be living sacrifices who are alive from the dead because of new life in Jesus. Let's celebrate him together and this, mor- or this morning and all week long in worship, both in a broad sense of offering our entire lives day in and day out to him, but specifically right now being able to worship him in praise and adoration. I want to close with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. 
Jesus, be with us here this morning as we close our time gathered together in worshiping you. May it not just be a worship that ends in the next couple of minutes, Lord, but one that radiates out into our entire week in every aspect of our lives. May we serve you. May we see you. May we worship you. And Lord, may we be continuously transformed and renewed by your incredible spirit. Be with us this morning, Lord. In your son's name, amen.